Let's start with a story. I'm boarding Melbourne's Skybus one evening. That's the bus that runs from the airport into the heart of the city. I'm tired. I'm cold. I put my suitcase on a rack and find myself a window seat. A man sits down next to me and he spreads his legs. That's the first event in this story. He's not that much bigger than me, but the man is taking up all the space in front of his little bucket seat, as well as a quarter of mine. I twist to try and avoid touching him, but he steals every extra centimetre I put between us. He seems oblivious to my escalating discomfort as he allows himself to sprawl. I wonder, if I stop moving my legs, hold fast to my territory, will he retreat? I try it and he doesn't. So now I have a choice. Do I stop his slow encroachment by accepting the side of his thigh pressed against my thigh? Or do I continue my absurd contortion act? I decide to keep twisting. As the trip drags on, I become a small, angry pretzel. My body is aching. I'm furious at the obnoxiousness of this leg spreader but I'm too young, alone and conflict-averse to say anything about it to him. So I pull out my phone and write a quick, angry Facebook post. And that's where the story I really want to tell begins. Welcome to Boy Trouble a podcast trying to tell better stories about boys in Australia. I'm your host, Dr. Grace Sharkey. Today we're hearing from Dr. Jessica Keane, a lecturer at the University of Sydney and another member of the Feminist Boys Studies Research Group. Jess's research covers a range of topics, including intimacy, relationships, gender and representation. So Jess, I'm intrigued. What happens next? I'm there, quietly fuming on the sky bus and I write a Facebook post as follows. I'm sitting on a bus, twisting my body out of shape because this manspreader feels entitled to my space. My back hurts, my leg hurts. The patriarchy is literally hurting me. The likes and sympathy comments start rolling in, and it's helping. I feel like I've turned a private indignity into a small moment of feminist public pedagogy. I'm even starting to feel good about it. And then comes a second event in this story, the one I didn't quite see coming. A teenage boy I know pops up in the comments. This boy tells me the post is sexist. Women take up space on public transport too, he says, and they often put their bags on the seat next to them. Why couldn't I have simply said this person was rude? What does it have to do with gender? Within seconds, a feminist friend of mine has joined the fray too. She doesn't know this boy. She just sees his name, reads his comments, and suspects his trolling. She doesn't know he's 16. She doesn't know that he's sweet, funny, and smart. She doesn't know that I've known him his whole life, and that if he's writing like this, it's much more likely that he's genuinely hurt or angry than that he's taking the piss. She doesn't know it might have cost him something to write that comment that he would likely have thought hard about whether to speak his mind and risk hurting our relationship. 
Without this knowledge, she puts him on blast, and I have to jump in to defuse the situation. Looking back, I find myself revisiting these two events as a story about a man and a boy, and asking, what went wrong here? I think both these events would be familiar to many of our listeners. We often hear stories of women having to make themselves feel small in public space, to contort their bodies to fit in, when men don't seem to feel the same pressure. But today, I think we're more interested in this second situation, the story that went wrong. What do you think a story like this can tell us about boys and their relationship to feminism? So the first thing that strikes me is his defensive, hurt tone. This boy was taking what I said quite personally. But I think it would be a mistake to focus solely on the boy. This was an interaction we were having. He was reacting to something that I had said. And this is what fascinates me about the relationship between boys and feminism. To me, it involves thinking about both how boys are spoken about by feminists and how boys and young men receive or respond to feminist discussions about masculinity and gender more broadly. I'm involved in a string of projects around this theme. With Dr Timothy Staines, I recently wrote an article about the way that boys have been represented by domestic violence prevention campaigns in Australia. The dominant figure is the boy as a future perpetrator of violence. But what does this do for boys themselves? How might they read this figure, or indeed distance themselves from this figure? I have a second research project with Dr Denise Baton, where we spoke to 20 young people about the messages they received in their childhood about men and masculinity. This has given us some unique and surprising insights into the ways that feminist messages are landing for young boys or rather the ways that feminist messages aren't landing, the places where crucial ideas about gender equality and power are getting lost in translation. Yeah, I think one of the main things our group has been thinking about for the last few years are what messages boys and men are getting about feminism and where from. In our last episode, we looked at a certain set of boys and men who were getting some very negative messaging about feminism and in turn doing some very negative things with it. But even the average person is likely not so sure exactly which message is to believe. When I'm thinking about these questions, I'm really thinking about all the boys and men in my life, inside and outside the classroom. And I'm wanting to be able to share my experience and analysis with them in a way that can be heard. But sometimes it feels like those messages don't get through or when they do get through, they get really misunderstood. So, Jessica Keane, what's your boy trouble? There are some key places where feminist conversations about boys and men are getting stuck. I think we need to know what those places are and how to get them unstuck. I want to focus on boys like that kid on my Facebook feed. Boys who are well-meaning, sincere, and not actually misogynistic. And yet they find themselves in passionate disagreement with feminists. I want to know what's going awry with those guys. Yeah, I think about this a lot too. I think that even the guys that I might think of as being the other guys, I'm not sure if they're as misogynistic as they think they are or as they want people to believe. For sure there are shock jocks and online trolls who willfully misconstrue feminist arguments. But I'm interested in the men and the boys who hear feminists talk about them and in all good faith, feel like feminists are getting something wrong, maybe something important. There are boys and young men who have mixed feelings about it all. Some boys simply feel confused about why women in their lives are finding resonance with feminist ideas and projects 
that these boys find utterly alienating. Other boys who might identify as progressive can feel like they ought to be on board with feminism as part of their wider commitment to social justice, but these progressive boys may still be quietly swallowing an internal feeling that something is missing from the story. And in dialogue with these boys, there are many feminists who want to understand why boys and men can feel so tripped up by this stuff. Why do they keep hitting a wall when they get into chats about gender? Can we offer them a roadmap out of these troubles? I think the question becomes, how do we have better conversations? How do we translate these ideas so that they are being understood in ways that are helpful for everybody. Right. So today I'm going to talk about just one path. There is profound confusion about what we are talking about when we're describing something as gendered. Take manspreading, although it could be a number of other things as well. Mansplaining, sexual harassment in the workplace, the pay gap, all kinds of things. Right. So I describe the manspreading skybus story as a gendered experience. But what does that actually mean? Did I mean that this is something that all men do? Definitely not. I know men who could cross their legs for the Olympics. It's a real (laughs) thing of beauty. Did I mean this is something that only men do? Also, no. As Facebook Boy pointed out in the comments, some women take up space on public transport too, with things like bags. And of course, there are some women who can spread with the best of them. (laughs) Men don't own masculinity or masculine comportment. I was pointing to gender not because it was only men or all men, but because there is a gendered pattern here. Not a rule, just a predictable and recognisable gendered pattern in the world. It's not all men or only men, but it really is often men or even usually men. Most of the time when feminists are saying something about masculinity or even using the word men, They're not talking about the collective of all or only men. They're trying to point to a clearly discernible gendered pattern of behaviour. And so why do you think gender is an important part of the equation? The idea is that gender is involved in some meaningful or important way in the experience. In the case of the man on the bus, my quick-fire feminist post on Facebook was actually drawing implicitly on the work of feminist philosopher Iris Marion Young, who I'd been teaching recently. She observed that girls and boys tend to be socialised to see and use their bodies very differently in space. I don't think all or only men would spread like that. But it is likely, being socialised as a man, that this particular leg spreader was encouraged to feel free and unthinking in his movements. He was not trained, as I was, for example, to fear for his own safety or fear the repercussions of sending the wrong message by moving into a woman's personal space in such a casual way. And I think for myself as well, I often feel like the pressure that I feel is not wanting to be rude or not wanting to get in the way or not wanting to try and take up as little space as possible as a way of being nice. That also feels quite gendered to me. Yeah, for sure. But I do think, you know, if it had been the other way around and I had spread my thigh right into his space and rested it against his leg, I would worry about how that would be read or what that man would think I was trying to say to him. Absolutely. Uh, And I don't think that that concern was in his mind at all. So this concept of a patterned link to socialisation opens onto the prickliest issue here, I think. 
the question of responsibility. Because when I make a claim about masculinity or men, like I did in that Facebook post, that can't help but call men into the conversation. It's like I'm sending up a little flag that says, this has something to do with you. But if it's not all or only men, what exactly does it have to do with them? If boys and men are assuming that I mean all or only men, then yes, they might jump to personal defence. Not me, they might say. Or maybe not us. But if what we're saying is not a collective accusation and instead an observation of a pattern within the collective, then that leaves open a different response. They could respond something more like, have I seen that pattern? Have other women around me experienced that? And if so, would they feel comfortable talking to me about it? And perhaps in another direction, given that I, as a man, have special access to certain male-only spaces, what patterns do I see there? Or what patterns should I be looking for? These questions and observations don't require boys or men to pour buckets of shame over their heads. It is just an invitation to take a pause and pay attention. Have I noticed that pattern too? If I haven't, maybe I should chat with some other people and see if they have. So there's a gap between what feminists say about patterns and what boys and men sometimes hear, which is an ideology of rules. Sometimes they hear this as an only men or all men rule. The boy in the Facebook comments is feeling personally attacked because he hears a rule and he can't think of a place for himself inside or outside that rule. So there's this pattern that's being misinterpreted as a rule, as a kind of prescriptive thing. And I suppose what I want to ask is what do we do about that? Huge question, I'm sorry, but... No, that's exactly the question we need to be talking about. So when we feel a conversation going wrong, we might immediately think this is a clash of moralities or a clash between those interested in justice and those wanting to perpetuate harm. And of course, sometimes that is the case. But when we're finding ourselves in this kind of conversation, it's worth taking a moment to pause and think about what's happening before we start flaming each other. Could there be a gap between the thing being said and the thing being heard? For the boy in my Facebook comments, I think the gap was the subtle rule and pattern distinction. So we could clarify. We could adjust our language. We could make sure that we know what the person we're chatting with is hearing, and we can make sure that if there's a fight to be had, that we're fighting over the right things. That was our boy trouble for this week. Thanks for staying with us and for staying with the trouble. We'll be back soon with another episode. And I want to thank the fabulous Dr. Jessica Keane. Boy Trouble is a podcast produced by members of the Feminist Boy Studies Research Group, which is a collaboration between the University of Sydney and the University of Technology, Sydney. This program was made on the unceded lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. The podcast was produced by Peter Adams from the University of Sydney School of Humanities.